Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Glad to see your smiling faces, those that have let me see their smiles. You don't have to. We, we want to let you know it's okay once you're seated and not singing. If you want to remove your mask, if you're comfortable doing that, feel free to do that. If not, it's okay to, to, to stay masked. Just when we're moving around and singing, um, we ask you to kind of put those back up to just help protect each other. Um, it's just good to see you. Really good. Hey, um, we're going to talk this morning... Uh, about about generosity. We've been in a series called uh, Flourish uh, for some time now, and we've been looking at ways God has planned for our lives to flourish. And one of those ways is God wants our lives to flourish uh, in and through generosity. And so I was thinking about this idea of generosity and, and thinking about what it is and what it isn't and thinking about the kind of opposite. And my first thought was the opposite of generosity would be something like greed, maybe, or, or selfishness, something, something of that kind of thought pattern. And then as I thought more deeply about it, I thought, you know, those, more, those are kind of like symptoms of something deeper. And I think the thing that's deeper is this undercurrent in our souls of, of discontent. And I think that discontent flourishes as we try to compare ourselves to, to others. Maybe compare some of what we have with what somebody else has. Maybe our financial portfolio with somebody else's. Maybe the neighborhood we live in with somebody else's. The car we drive, you know. Um, have you ever, like, you know, been at uh, maybe a fast food restaurant and notice that somebody got more fries in their bag than you did. You know, we, we just, it makes us discontent. You know, we, we did, just things like that can cause the heart to, to, to just be discontent and it, it can flourish in that comparison kind of game. You know, we just kind of think things like the grass is always greener over there. Um, anybody ever suffer with the disease that I have that thinks traffic always moves better in the other lane? You know, and you got to, Got to move over there. There are some people who get so discontent that they, they think life might be better uh, with another person. This, this spirit of discontent that kind of runs in us can cause us all kind of problems. I, I remember reading a little, little parable about two teardrops. Two teardrops were floating down the river of life together. And one of the teardrops says, I'm, I'm the tear of a woman who loved and lost a man. And the other teardrop said, I'm the teardrop of a woman who found that sucker. Um, you know, it could be a good thing. Some of you will get it later on. It's okay. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and change gears. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you would, open them to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We don't often dedicate an entire message to something like generosity and giving uh, uh, those kinds of things, stewardship, and maybe once or twice, maybe three times some years, but it's something that Jesus talked about significantly. Um, over a third of the parables, those stories that had kind of a real sharp point for living, uh, Jesus spoke about things like generosity uh, and giving and, and, and sacrifice. And so maybe we, it's something we need to think more of, talk more of. But one of the things that I've discovered, both watching others do this and then when I've had opportunity to speak on the topic of, of giving or generosity, uh, one of the things that happens if you think about kind of life on that side, spectrum, there are people on one end of the spectrum who kind of struggle with maybe selfishness when it comes to their finances, um, and they get squirmy during a message like this. I'm not going to point you out if you start squirming, so, you know, if you got a backache and you have to adjust in your seat, we won't judge you, I promise, okay? But I've noticed people get a little squirmy when they struggle on that end of the spectrum, but then, then people on the other end of the spectrum who have found that their hearts are really open to being generous and, and, and giving, uh, they, they like messages like this. Some people say, why? Why would anybody like a, a message about this? Because, because they live in the joy and the freedom to give generously, and, and they, they desperately want others 
to find that freedom, to, to, to live with hands that are open and giving instead of in bondage and captivity. And so Paul writes about this, uh, and, and one place that he writes about it that I want us to look at today is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes these words, but those who desire to be rich, so this is a desire, something deep, to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Now, nowhere in there does it say that money is bad. Money's not bad, money's not good, money's neutral. But one of the things that it does is it has a way of getting into our hearts and our minds and capturing us. It can literally be a, a trap for us if we're not careful. People can fall in love with it. And when that, that kind of obsession creeps into our hearts and our thinking, this is where discontent, that river of discontent starts to flow and it can actually carry us along to just becoming kind of flat out selfish because, you know, money and the pursuit of it, you know, and, and instead of pursuing the generous nature of Jesus, pursuing that just can lead to destruction. And so today, we want to we kind of unpack this passage and I really only have two points. There's just two points and they're really questions. Um, that, that I want us to kind of wrestle with, not just in the moments we have together, but maybe outside of this space over the next coming days, that you would just kind of wrestle and look at your heart and just deeply answer the question. Here's question number one. What are your plans? What, what, what are your plans? What, what plans do you have? It's a simple question, but it's, a, it's really a very important question if you want to be kept out of that trap, that, that snare of discontent. You look back at verse 9, Paul says this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now that, that word there that our English Bible translates as desire to is the word bulamai, and it's just come it's a Greek word, but it, it's not the typical word that you think of when you first think of you know somebody talking about wanting something or maybe desiring something. It goes a lot deeper than that. It's it it has to do with you plan your whole life around this. This desire, this want, your, your, your mind is kind of captured by it all the time. All the decisions that you make kind of flow out of a connection to this. And Paul is, Paul is not, Paul's not war, warning here against somebody who's saying, I want to I succeed in my career or I, I have a desire to have this thing. He's not warning against that. He's talking about something deeper. He's saying if, you're, if all of your plans, your whole life plan really revolves around something about your dream home, or your, your retirement, or, you know, maybe a dream vacation, or, or, or something like that. Maybe your comfort, or your investments. If everything comes back to that, God's word says, man, you're probably going to struggle. Probably going to have a, a, a bit of a problem. So I want us to think about this a little bit, about, uh, about these plans. What, what are your plans revolving around? And here's the deal. N nobody in this room can answer that for you but you. I can't answer it. Person seated next to you behind, they, they can, only you can, can, can answer it. What is it that consumes your thinking? What dominates your mind? Do you dream of being generous? Do, do you dream of, you know, do you plan for that? Do you build your schedule around it? Do you build a budget around it? Those, the purposes of God that would help you do that? Or do you build around just maybe comforts and desires? I want us to take a couple of moments to think about and look at, examine some plans that God gives us to help us infuse into our plans these opportunities to flourish in, into generosity. God's word gives us some plans to help our bigger plans. So I want us to look at, at these plans and see, are they, are they expressed in my plans? 
Are they expressed in, in, in your plans? The first of those plans is what I would call foundational giving. What the Bible kind of lays out as foundational giving. It's, it's kind of the, the foundation that God's word lays, if you would, to a life that could become generous. It's the starting place, really, that the Bible uh, gives us for thinking about giving in any capacity. It's also known as tithing. It's, you know, it's foundational, but it's, this, it's known as tithing. And it shows up all throughout God's word. You go to the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, tithing, you find it. You go to Leviticus, you find it. You move through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. It's, it's there. And biblically speaking, it's kind of like the minimum biblical standard. Tithing, the Bible teaches, is simply this. It's a tenth of what you earn. It's, it's actually the first 10% of everything that you earn is to be given back to God. Now, this may be a newsflash for somebody today, I don't know, but this book, God's Word, teaches that everything you have and everything you earn, 100% is His. 100% of everything that you have or earn is, is the Lord's. It's, it says the whole earth is the Lord's, everything within it. And so the question is, where else are you going to get a deal like God gives you that you get to keep 90% of his stuff? I mean, that's what, basically what tithing is. God says, everything you earn is mine, but I'm going to let you keep 90% of it. Now, you might find a deal out there where somebody will let you keep 10%, but nobody's going to let you keep 90% but God. And, and God, God does that. He says, this is, it's all mine, but I'm going to let you keep 90%, but 10% of it is different and you need to give it back to me. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, if you haven't, I hope you will one day set out to, to make it all the way through the Old Testament. One of the, the phrases that you're going to find recurring often is this phrase, first fruits. First fruits of, of all that uh, you earn. First fruits of all that, that you have. Now, it, the Old Testament was primarily written in this agrarian culture. And so they thought in those terms, and so God communicated to his people in, in those terms. And so people would tithe literally on plants they grew. They would bring a tenth part of, of their crops that they, they would bring them to the place that they worshiped and, and, and give them to the Lord. And the scriptures are clear that this, this idea of a tithe is the, is the first part. Now, it's not this legalistic thing, though. Some people can make things so legalistic. You know, it's not like, okay, I got my check. I got to run to the church and give them their 10%, and I can't stop for a dollar candy bar first. That's not, it's not like that, okay? God, God has something different in mind as, as it regards the tithe. But here's the question. Is is the tithe, is that foundational plan of God's forgiving in your plan? Is it, is it, part of, is it, is it working out of your budget? Is, is the first 10% dedicated to the Lord? Or is your plan more like this? God, we're going to get to the end of the month, and if there's a little something left over, and my wife's not you know, telling me I've got to take her out for dinner, you can have it. You know, is, the, is, is, is that more like your plan? You know, one of the interesting things that has occurred, I would say in the last 15, 20 years, is there have been people that will try to, try to say something like, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. Well, the next time somebody tells you that, you take them to Matthew 23, 23. Because not only is it in the New Testament, Jesus himself spoke about it. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders, and he says, woe to you. It's going to get bad for you if you're not careful. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought have done without neglecting the others. Friends, if Jesus wanted to dismiss or eliminate the tithe, he'd have done it here. But instead of eliminating the tithe, what does Jesus do? Jesus elevates the tithe. And he says, now there are other matters of faith other than just tithing, but you need to, you need to do the, this thing called the tithe, this foundational giving, this, this first fruits. 
That idea of first fruits, not only in the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 16 talks about this. It says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Pa- Paul is saying, don't wait for a need to occur to give. You need to give weekly, and it needs to be this percentage-based thing based on, on, on what you've earned, some of what you've been given, so that when the need arises, it's already taken care of. You don't have to get together and do a special you know, kind of offering for it. In the Old Testament, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 10, some of you have heard this before, uh, but I want to read verse 10 and 11. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food or maybe enough, if you would, in my house, says the Lord, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Can you imagine that? No more need. And God says this, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field and shall, uh, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Do you ever maybe feel like what you earn gets devoured by a secret monster that you don't know where he came from? You just kind of get to the end of the month and where it's like, where'd that, what? Well, the Bible says that one of the things that God wants to do is he wants to deal with the devourer in your life. And so much so, God, God hates that happening to you. So much so that God says, put me to the test in this. I know you're going to struggle with this one. Put me to the test. He says, every week bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and put me to the test. Only place where God says put him to the test. That's why years ago, uh, th- this church, uh, Pastor Kurtz here today, he helped lead us to do this. Th- and, and, and what we do is we have this tithe challenge because God's word says test him in that. There needs to be a place to do that. And so at River Bluff Church, if you will, if you will set out to biblically tithe for three months, if at the end of 90 days you have not seen God begin to deal with the devourer, begin to find ways to bless you in different ways, uh, if that doesn't happen, we'll give you all your money back. Now, you, you, you got to track it. You got to write, you know, write it down a check or something like that, electronic giving. Uh, you got to do something like that. You can't just show up, you know, three months from now and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I tied $17,000. You, know, you can't do that. You gotta, you, you, we got to show for it. But now, here, let me give you a warning before you step into that challenge. God is not promising you riches. He's not promising, at least not those kind of financial riches that we always think about. He's not promising that next week you're going to get a pay raise if you do this. He, he's not promising that you're going to, you know, get some kind of new possessions or promotion. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't promise you that you're going to, you know, maybe have a, a, a Prius or a Porsche in your, in your garage. God doesn't even promise you you get a garage. He, do, he doesn't make those kind of promises, but he does make some. He promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Look at this verse out of Hebrews 13, 5. And one of the things I want you to notice is it's connected to money. It says this, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, God, God wants the heart of your contentment to be centered in him. Not only that does he promise he'll be with you, never leave you, he promises also that he will supply all your needs. Look at Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I know that there are some first-time visitors here today. I've had a chance to meet a couple of you, and I, I think some of you have, you know, kind of churched, uh, have, have a church background. I don't, if you're here today, though, and this is kind of like the first time you're hearing some of this stuff, you know, you may be thinking, oh, my goodness, he's after my wallet. He's coming after my wallet. We, and, and you're the one that's trying to find the closest exit, you know. I, I can see you kind of looking around. Jesus is not after your wallet. He, he's, that's not what Jesus is after. Jesus is aiming for your heart. He's aiming for your full devotion to him. He wants all of you because he knows that's how life on this planet flourishes best. If, if you're a Christ follower, 
If you're, if you're a Christian here today, you, there, there may be somebody here that's a seeker. I'm not talking to you right this moment. I'm talking to those who have trusted Christ personally. If you're, if you're a Christian and you are not currently tithing, I want to challenge you to take the challenge, to test the, the Lord in, in this. I know it's a step of faith. That's why the Bible talks about it in, in the amount of a percentage and not, you know, a bottom line number. Because it is, a, it is a step of faith. And you'll be expressing this. You'll be saying, God, I, I trust that you have an ability to make the 90% go further than I can make the 100%. I trust you, God, that you can do that. See, only God can deal with the devourer. You can't. Only God can do that. And if you're here and tithing is just like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that thought existed out there. Well, if you're here today and that's you, here's my challenge to you. Just explore it. Pray about it. Talk to the Lord about it. You know, maybe, maybe some of you, if this is an area that you struggle in, maybe that's what the growth plan is going to do for you. Some of you know we've been introducing a, a new tool at River Bluff called the growth plan. One of the avenues, one of the expressions that this helps you walk in and examine is your, is your life of generosity, how you doing there. And it'll give you helps and, and, and study pathways to think about how do I grow to be like Jesus in generosity. And all you've got to do, here's, and let me say this about the growth plan, there's been a little bit of confusion. The starting place for the growth plan is not to go online and take, take a survey, Okay, the starting place is to request the journal. Okay, that's the starting place. So you just go online, put growth plan in the search bar. It'll take you to that page. Read the whole page and get to the bottom because you've got to kind of scroll down a little bit. But there you can click in order to get your own personal copy of the growth plan, either an electronic interactive copy or a hard copy. Uh, will be printed up for you, and then you can, you can pick that up. But it'll, it'll help you maybe on, on this journey. A second plan that God's word gives us, the first is this foundational giving, tithing. A second plan that God gives us to bring our lives to flourishing and generosity is oftentimes referred to in the Bible as a free will offering, a free will giving, if you would. Now, this is, this is above and beyond the tithe. You know, we're called in the New Testament as Christians to go beyond the Old Testament law to live in God's grace and in God's generosity. So it, what that means is we exceed the minimum standard. The minimum standard was kind of the tithe thing, but God, God wants us to work to a place where we're giving beyond that. And here's what a free will giving is. It means you get to decide based on the burden that God may put on your heart. Some of you have different passions. Some of you have passions for the homeless or, 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 or maybe uh, to, to, to end abortion in our nation or it, just lots of different passions. Maybe it's to, to, to help the hungry and, and you're looking for a place to, to give and, 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 and work. And there are a lot of Christians organizations out there that, that maybe your heart beats fast for. Um, one that for some of you, this just makes you excited about is church planting. Paul, the Apostle Paul, that's what he was. He was a church planter. He writes about some people that gave freely. They gave a free will gift, if you would, to support him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 says this, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. At the moment I have all I need and more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me. They, they had this passion now to help support the, the work of Paul. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if, if you give to River Bluff Church, if you, you bring your tithe to here, some of every dollar that you bring in goes to help plant churches. It's a part of our giving to missions, and we're part of a cooperative effort called the Cooperative Program, so that a part of every dollar goes into the work of supporting missions globally and, and here in, in our nation on the North American continent. It's a way that as a church, we corporately can make a difference, but you can also hear from the Lord and just take an opportunity to give into something that, that makes your heart just, just light up. Some of you are saying, okay, well, I've, I've never done that before. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take that challenge as well. And you say, but who, how do I know it's safe out there? Who do I know that's safe? I want to help you. Grab your phones. You got a phone? Open your phone. Open it up, seriously. 
and go to riverbluff.org. If you go to riverbluff.org, I'm an Android guy. Don't be a hater, okay? Don't be a hater out there. But I'm an Android guy, and if you bring that up, riverbluff.org, there's three little bars. You just click in those three little bars, and it'll bring up uh, this menu, and you hit serve. And when you go to serve, it'll tell you something like you can um, serve at River Bluff. You can serve locally. If you hit locally, it's going to bring up a list of partnering ministries that we're in relationship with. I would say we vetted them. We've done more than vetted them. We've been in, in partnership with them for, some of them, decades and we believe these are safe ministries. And again, it's everything from helping feed uh, folks, the, the homeless and people who are struggling, to helping uh, deal with people in, in, in pregnancy crises, th- those kinds of things. Lots of organizations in there that you can participate in. There, there's also some organizations that we are in relationship with on a national level and a global level. So I'd encourage you to check those out. See which ones line up with what makes your heart race to address something. And then give a free will offering. You know, one of the things that we have encouraged our church, we didn't do it this past year because of the pandemic, but annually for years we have sent our whole church out. We'd shut our services down. We call it Kingdom Sunday. We'd send our whole church out. And mostly we would say, why don't you go find a church plan? And when you're there that day, the tithe that you would normally give here, give it as a free will offering to support them. It's kind of what a free will offering would look like. A third biblical plan that God's word gives us to help us flourish in this area of generosity is what uh, gets called sacrificial giving. It's this sacrificial gift. And this gift is like, it's unusual. It's kind of way over the top. It demonstrates a trust in God that's like just kind of off the charts. Um, A sacrificial gift is one of those gifts that somebody might look at and think, have you lost it, man? You know, it, that, that just seems so kind of lavish. But friends, this is where, this is the place where you're gonna see God do incredible things with your faith. Th- this kind of giving is the place where you're gonna get to see God just really blow some things up in your capacity to trust him in, in, in every area of your life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Paul writes, he says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. There's this group of people that saw the suffering of Christians in Jerusalem being impoverished, being starved, being persecuted. And they said, we just want to give. We want to give sacrificially. We want to give beyond what we are able. And this, is, this was Paul looking at these folks, this, you know, this apostle that gave up so much. And he's looking at them and said, they gave far beyond what they were even able. Paul celebrated the sacrifice. And I just want to say this. If God ever invites you, gives you an opportunity to be a part of uh, something that could be sacrificial in giving, take it. To at least once in your life, take it. Because you will see God bless you in ways you've, you've never seen before. One of the greatest demonstrations that I got to see happen uh, on, a, on a significant scale were uh, in a... In a a season that we call time to build here at, at River Bluff. Actually, at the time, we were Midland Park. Some of y'all remember that season back in 1999. And we, we felt like God was calling us to, to plant this church here, to put this church here. It was the fastest growing area of North Charleston at the time, and we just felt like the Lord said, do this. And so we set out to do that. And in 1999, many people made very sacrificial, generous pledges and gifts for over the course of several years to see this work done. And God did some, if, if you were a part of Time to Build, if you gave to Time to Build, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand real quickly. Okay, thank you. I, I believe if you are seated near somebody who raised their hand and you were to ask them, did they get to see God do incredible things through that season of sacrifice? I believe every one of them would tell you absolutely Absolutely, we got to see God do some, some incredible things. Families, families, whole families sacrificed. Sacrificed things like uh, vacations for a couple years. 
Sacrificed things like buying a new car. They just kept driving and, you know, repairing that car. Didn't, didn't go buy a new car so that they could do those kinds of things. Just gave dramatically to the Lord. Some people had no earthly idea when they made their pledge how in the world God was going to work it out. But he did. He over and over again. And they sacrificed in a huge way so that some of you could be here today. And God saw all that. And God's grace was flowing through their lives into generosity to make a difference for others. That, that, that was God's plan. And we got, to do, we got to see God do some incredible things. We thought going into that journey that we were going to have to sell our other facility. We were Midland Park Baptist Church for about 60 years before this, this happened. And we thought we were going to have to sell that other facility to help pay for this. And midway through the journey, God spoke and said, nope, you ain't selling it. You're going to use that space to bless others. And it was over there back in 2002, once we got over here, we kind of dedicated that space for, to serve the community. And over there now through the ministry of Low Country Cares, which may be one of those free will offerings that you want to start giving is to, to Low Country Cares to, to feed uh, those who are struggling, uh, God opened the door. And we planted that work over there. And that ministry is still thriving. Thousands of people have been fed because of that work over there. Right now, I mean, at this moment, there's a church plant, although I hate to call them a church plant because they've been well planted. Radiant Church is worshiping God, celebrating his goodness right now on that other campus. Uh, and it all, God did all of this. And we got to see it. It was like, how is this even possible? We saw God do just some incredible things, and he just continues to bless that sacrificial gift that, that, that people made so many years ago. It, it's just, it, it, it's incredible. And when you give sacrificially, again, I want to say this again, there's nothing like it to help just lift your trust in God in so many other areas. So that first question is, what are your plans how do God's plans of foundational giving, how do God's plans of free will giving, how do God's plans of sacrificial giving fit into your plans? Are they, are they on your radar screen? Here's the second question. The second question is this. What are you committed to? What are you co committed to? Now jump back to our text in 1 Timothy. I want us to kind of look at verse 10 for just a moment. It says this, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And that's a, a pretty well-known verse, but it's also a very misquoted verse in our day. Very misquoted. All the time you hear people say, money is the root of all evil. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. I doubt very seriously that there's anybody in this room today who would stand up and say, you know what, I love things more than I love people. I love things more than I love my family. I love things more than I love my spouse. Because you might get smacked if you were to stand up and say that. You know that, right? Don't say that. Even if you think it, don't say it. But I know most of you aren't, aren't, even, aren't even thinking, you know, thinking that way. But there's a question here that, that we have to, to ask. Does our life, even though our words might not, does our life kind of scream that to people? That what we love is more related to our stuff than to, to others. Because see, selfishness that affects our finances really affects every other area of our life. And, and God, God's people, we, we don't want to be lovers of money. We're called to learn about it. We, I mean, we, we're to learn about it because money is a tool that God gives us. It, 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 it has power. That tool does. It has a, it's a power tool. It has the power to, 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 to destroy. It has a power to save. It, it, just, it, it has that kind of power. And see, God wants to use it in his plan for God's people to be generous, to have hearts of generosity and to flourish. You know, 
so you may ask, how, how does money play a role in, in saving? Well, there are people who have been saved through the ministry of this church. And God, in his grace, poured it out into people to give generously and sacrificially. And they get to be a part of that blessing of knowing that people are saved. There are people who come to River Bluff Church who came out of a very difficult legalistic background and who have shown up here and found freedom in Christ, found that their identity has to flow through Jesus, not through things, the messages that they've heard that are lies in their hearts and minds. And all of that flows and has happened to give life because people were willing to sacrifice. Now, God, God has this plan because he knows that things like debt suffocates us, kills us, draws, draws life from us. And you can have freedom from even debt. And God, God has a biblical plan for that. We, we have a course around here that we teach uh, called uh, Financial Peace. It's a Dave Ramsey course. We don't have one on the calendar right now, but I guarantee you this. If you find yourself being suffocated by debt, we have a couple of elders who this is their great passion. And if you, if you email me and say, Joe, I am stuck. I am, I am drowning in debt. I, I, I want to move towards generosity, but I'm, I'm dead in the water on this. I need help. If you'll email me, I'll get those elders in touch with you because they desperately want to see you set free. God wants to help you flourish in this capacity of generosity because he loves you so very much. But we play a part in this. I, I read a story this week uh, about a dad uh, his name was James. His, his son was a junior named Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy's five years old, and, and, and his dad, James, decided he just wanted to hang out with his son, have a little special time, so he decided to take off work early, and he went and picked uh, his little five-year-old son up from school that day, and he asked Jimmy, Jimmy, what you want to do? Jimmy said, I want to go to McDonald's. And so his daddy said, okay, we're going to McDonald's. J Jimmy, what you want at McDonald's? Dad, I want some fries. So they get at McDonald's and they walk up to the counter and um, the dad says, give me, a, give me a big Coke and also give me an order of fries. And then he used the magic word, supersize them. Jimmy's eyes lit up. He was so excited. He got, got his tray with his big old Coke and the supersized fries and they make their way to a table. Jimmy got to pick the table and his dad sat down across the table uh, across from him and just, was just enjoying watching his son enjoy those, those fries. And, and suddenly the dad noticed, you know, those fries are golden brown. I see that hint of salt. I bet I'm going to take, and so dad reaches over to get one and Jimmy does this. So dad kind of draws back for a moment and thinks, What's up with that? So he gives it a moment, and then his dad kind of reaches in again to do that. And, and this time, Jimmy does this, and then he pulls his tray back, and he looks his dad in the eyes, and he says, my fries. And dad says, he's thinking, does this boy know what he's doing? Doesn't he know I could come across that table and take those fries? Doesn't this boy know I'm the one who bought those fries? Doesn't this boy know I got enough money in my wallet that I could go back up to that counter and tell that person up there to bring so many fries and just dump them over my kid's head so he couldn't even be seen? And just about the time that he was getting ready, James said, just about the time I was getting ready to kind of come after my son on it, this thought ran through my head. That's what you do to God. That's exactly what you do to God. See, so very, very often what God does is he wants to sit with us in our blessing, to be with us in our, in our blessing. And this is what God gets. And in our own ways, we probably don't use words, but we say mine. This is mine, no God. No, no God, this is, this is mine. I'm going to hang on to this, God. I'll decide. I'll decide, God, what, what you get. I'll decide what comes your way, God. And all God wanted to do was be with you in, in the blessing. And you could imagine, maybe I, I have, that what God says in those moments is, do you know I could take that? Do you know I could drown you in blessings or I could drown you in struggles? Do you know who, who I am? Do you know, do you know what's going on? And whether it's our money or our stuff or our time, we just selfishly 
block God. You know how God responds? God just kind of steps back. God pulls back and and lets us have our, our way. He just completely kind of politely says, okay, choice is up to you. You, you, get, you get to decide. It's gonna be, gonna be your choice. And he patiently allows us to choose between generosity or discontent. However, stuff, your income, your 401k, your car, your house, your boat, your whatever, those are Jesus's fries. That's who, they, that's who they belong to. One day, the psalmist, I think, kind of got to a place where he, he kind of realized everything belongs to God. And this is what he said in Psalm 116, verse 12. What can I offer to the Lord for all he has done for me? Well, maybe what you need to do first is lower your shield. Just kind of drop your shield. And begin to share generously with God and then with others as he would give you opportunity. Friends, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that the church is losing ground continuously and lost so much ground as far as it goes to steward our influence into the culture is because we don't grow up in every way into Christ, especially in this area of our lives of being generous. We don't grow up in, into to every way. Now, we get, we, we've grown up in the idea that, man, when Jesus comes back, I'm out of here. We've grown up into that, that understanding of, I, I got me to life after life, but there's no power in this life because we're not growing up in every way. And it's because we don't apply the gospel to all of life. We don't apply the whole gospel of the power of Jesus' death burial, resurrection, his ascension, his, his soon and imminent return. We don't apply the power of that to all of life. We don't apply it into the area of generosity because there's power there. Now, now we can do things. We, we can do things like provide growth plans. We can do things like provide financial peace. We can do all of that. But until we get captured by the reality that Jesus is the first fruits of this great harvest that God wants to bring all of us into, we're just gonna miss it. And we're not gonna have power in this life. That's why God's word speaks into this in the New Testament. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 15 and it says, in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Later, Paul writes to the, the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, all the fries belong to Jesus, but here's the deal with Jesus. He gives everything generously. He gives everything you have to you generously. Kind of as we close here, I want to go back and look at kind of the closing part. We only read half of verse 10. Look at this. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The first part of that verse is sobering, but the second half of that verse is very, very sobering. See, Paul's no longer just talking about a little bit of temptation maybe, a little bit of struggle that you might have. Paul here is talking about completely leaving the faith. Now, you you may look at me and say, Joe, Joe, give me a break, man. Are you telling me that because I'm, you know, being a little selfish with my money, that it may cause me to fall away from the faith? Joe didn't say that. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write those words so that we would receive it as a warning over our souls. See, that that word craving here means to stretch, really, to stretch yourself out, to stretch yourself over something. And many people, when it comes to this pursuit of finances, this pursuit of career, this, this chasing of money, many people have stretched themselves out thin. And the Apostle Paul is saying, be careful. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm providing for my family. 
Yes, God's word is filled. Paul writes about needing to provide for our families. Friends, this is not, this, this passage in, in verses 9 and 10 in, in 1 Timothy 6, this isn't about provision. This is about devotion. Are we devoted to the Lord? Are we devoted to him in, in, in this way? Because if we are, it will impact our generosity first to God and then to others. And so there's this question that I think we need to ask about what are we devoted to? And and another way to ask it is simply this. When it comes to generosity, when it comes to our finances, whose fries are they? Do you see them as yours or do you see them as God's? See, this could be such a good thing or this can be just a soul-sucking thing. Some of you know my dad, have met my dad. Um, to look at my dad today, my dad will be 84 in August and he golfs several times a week. He normally does not ride in the buggy. He gets his steps in is what he, he'll tell you. And so he's all over the golf course. Yesterday, my dad was out on the tractor plowing up his garden. You know, that, that's my dad. And um, you, you would not know that my dad's a heart patient just by looking on the, the, the outside. But I remember the day my dad had his heart attack and we were, we were at Trident Hospital with him and uh, the cardiologist, had, they had taken him back and they decided they were going to do angioplasty procedure and um, they got in there to do that and the cardiologist came out to, to tell us um, he needs a stent and they had not signed, my mom hadn't signed permission to, to do that procedure up front and so they brought us into this control room um, where on the monitor was my dad's heart. You could see my dad's heart. And the cardiologist points out the block and he says, right here, because of something, he named some technical things, but he said, I need to put a stent in right there or that's going to close back up. Is that okay? And so my mom signed permission and uh, they went to do the procedure and they let us stay in the control room. And so we got to watch them run that little wire down in that artery in my dad's heart, open it up, and then watch that blood flow past and, and began to service the rest of the heart, that muscle that w- which would have died, they said, had, he not, had they not been able to do that. And they put the stent in. Well, one of the things that struck me was when I looked at my dad the day before, my dad looked healthy. I had no earthly idea that this was going on in my dad's heart. But here's the deal about our hearts. It takes a doctor getting on the inside to really be able to see what's going on in that organ well. Because sometimes it's easy to hide things that way. Well, that's not just true of our organ, the heart. It's true of our heart devotion to Jesus. You know, we could line up 10, 15, 20 people on this stage. And some of their lives may look just bright and shiny and and, and gospel-driven. But they may be hiding some things. Because it's easy to have our own hearts deceived. It's, it's just so easy for, for that to happen. Jesus on the, the Sermon on the Mount tells us that where our heart is or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The, the, those two things are going to, you're going to be able to see those kinds of things because here's the deal about generosity. It begins in our hearts. You can't always look on the outside. You have to look, you have to look deeper Here's the problem so often with our hearts on this issue is we end up with a blockage. We end up with this blockage and and it does the same thing to uh, the core of our being, to our souls, that a blockage in our heart organ does. It cuts us off from the life flow of God's grace that we need. It, it, it cuts us off and there's this part of our soul that begins to die when a blockage like that happens. And God wants to come in and set us free. God wants to come in and repair the damage that self-centered discontent brings into our souls. See, when it's a matter of the heart, doctors and hospitals, man, they take that stuff very seriously. I think the challenge today is, do we? Do we, do we take this you know, seriously or do we just you know, think, well, all's well, you know, Jesus is Lord of my life. Are we self-deceived in believing that, that he's truly Lord, Lord of everything in my life? See, God's plan is that we wouldn't go through life with this clenched fist, holding on to things tightly, 
but that we would just approach life with hearts that are open to him, that we quit our little blocking techniques and say, God, I want to sit with you in the blessings that you've given me. Whether your blessings are gigantic or whether they're small, Jesus wants to sit with you in them. And he wants to deploy them for others. And all of that gets expressed as a matter of the heart. And it starts with giving first to the Lord. And then it can flow out to give a blessing to others. And here's the deal. You and I are never more like God than when we give. You've heard it before, but I'm going to say it again. You and I are never more like God than when we give. You know the verse. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave, and he continues to give. That's who our Father is. Let's pray. Lord, we come right now in this moment. We come, God, kind of digging into those questions. Lord, when we think about our plans, do we have your plans built in? Is there a foundational plan in our plans to give back to you that which is yours, that the tithe, that first 10%? Do we have plans to be a part of giving from our hearts, free will giving? God, if you call us to sacrifice, would we do that? What are our plans? What are we committed to? What are you committed to right now? Just ask the Lord that. Ask your Father in heaven that question. And maybe what you just need to do is run to him. He's waiting. He's waiting on you to bring your fries back to him. Saying, God, I know they're yours. I know everything I have is yours. And God, thank you. God, I thank you for the blessings in my life. And I want to share them with you, God. And I want to share them with the world. I want, to, I want to be generous like Jesus was for me who gave up everything, who gave his life on a cross. So God, we, I pray right now in these moments that we would just run to you. We would bring all that we have and all that we are and we would just give it back in this moment. And not just a momentary kind of emotional decision, but God, a commitment, a renewed devotion to serve you that way, to honor you that way, to be obedient in service to you. So we come, Father. We run to you now in this moment. Maybe what you need to do is run to, to the Father and thank him for what Jesus did on the cross for you. That's the starting point. It's coming to understand that Jesus, in his generosity, gave his life to pay a penalty, a debt that you could not pay. Maybe right now in this moment, you understand the generosity of God and his son Jesus and you want to receive him you just pray right there Jesus I receive you I receive the gift of life I trust you I turn from my sins I turn from my, my plans to make them your plans Jesus I come 